My problem with today's films is that they don't, they don't get into the interiority of these characters. Like if, let's say if there is a gay character, he, he or she is just kind of ideologically gay. It's like a theoretical thing. You don't really actually see what goes on in their life, in their mind, in their heart. And I think that's, to me, that means purely ideological, you know, to, to put something like that in the film. You have, a, you have a different purpose other than human purpose, you know? Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Orpike, and joining me is the fabulous Jonathan Astro. Fabulous. Is that, is that a code for something? What are you saying? <laughs> that, that's... It's just the first thing that popped into my mind. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I'm going to hopefully that means I'm, <laughs> I'm a good guy. Anyway, uh, don't worry about all that. Uh, today, we had a fantastic conversation with Amina Melonik, uh, a wide ranging discussion. We, we covered everything, movies. Did, would you believe that we, we talked about some trans stuff? Or? We did, yeah. That managed to uh, find <laughs> its, its way in, in, into the conversation. <laughs> but what's, what's, what's great, though, is that we got to talk, uh, talk movies with someone who, uh, who is not, not just totally captured by the shit that's happening uh, in the culture wars. You know? Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was incredible. Uh, and, and we can't wait to have her back. But anyway, that's for another day. On with the show. This is our interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as uh, we enjoyed recording it. Amina Melonik is an adjunct fellow of the Center for American Greatness. She is an unabashed cinephile and holds a PhD in comparative literature and three master's degrees in humanities from the University of Chicago, in philosophy from University at Buffalo, and in theology from Christ the King Seminary. She is a survivor of the Bosnian War and emigrated to the United States in 1996 and became an American citizen in 2003. Her work as a writer and critic has appeared in American Greatness, The Spectator, Law and Liberty, The New Criterion, The American Mind, and National Review, and many more. Amina, welcome to The New Flesh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. No, well, it's a pleasure. So, uh, look, uh, why don't we start? I mean, as a fellow cinephile, I'm going to put you on the spot. I think that movies are sort of, you know, movie people tend to evaluate other people uh, in this way. So what, what American movies do you keep coming back to? You know, I keep coming back to the things that um, I watched when I was a kid. And that was mainly movies from the 30s and 40s. Um, so anything really with Robert Mitchum. And it's kind of interesting to revisit, you know, Humphrey Bogart, all of those noir films. I, I used to uh, watch them and also those big Technicolor productions like Ten Commandments and stuff like that. Um, and lots of Westerns, you know, I've, I've watched those with my dad actually um, a lot. And um, it, it's, it's interesting to go back when you're, you know, not 10 years old, but you're 42, right? 42, I'm 42, you know, <laughs> to sort of have a different um, different position on it. You look at it from, obviously, from a, a perspective of somebody who is an adult but that sort of um child's you know eye really never goes away and I think that's where the love of it really for me comes from I've always loved movies I've started to watch them my goodness very very young and and just sort of increased my um you know my repertoire as I got older but the American movies of the 30s and 40s really kind of stayed with me because uh Despite living in uh, in you know socialist Yugoslavia, I think we had access to a lot of that stuff. Uh, certainly, when I was growing up. So, so you watch these movies uh, on on television on the big screen? Mainly on television, actually, but some on the big screen too. Actually, my first um, movie in the theater to see was A View to a Kill, James Bond. <laughs> James so. Bond. Wow, with the, with the incredibly old. Roger Moore. Yes. yes, yes, but I love him. He's great. He's great. So, yeah, that was the first mm. film I saw in the theater. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, most of these films were actually shown on TV and uh, sometimes in these sort of like um, little movie houses, you know, where one room thing where people got together and said, let's screen a movie, you know, so, um, but mainly on TV. Mm. Well, what, what's your favourite era of American filmmaking? Do, do you have a favourite? I really don't. I mean, it's it's and lately I've been just rewatching a lot of uh, films from the 30s and 40s. Um, I, I guess there's a sort of, um, you know, there's a mythology, obviously, behind it. There's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, 
history, you know, that's sort of uh, unspoken uh, in in some of these films, whether it's a pre-war, post-war, World War II, you know, all of that stuff that comes into it, which is not necessarily explicit, you know, like I I think of, uh, if you think of a movie, um, Niagara, which is kind of a color uh, a color noir with uh, Joseph Cotton and Marilyn Monroe. Um, there's an, there's the implication, or or it's not really discussed much that Joseph Cotton's character is um, a war veteran and uh, he's suffering from from what we know now know as post traumatic stress, right? And um, so there's there's a lot of kind of layers to the, to these films, I think, that are existential, but they're also great stories, right? They're gripping. You know, I, I don't they don't make movies like this. You know, I was um, when you revisit them, you feel like you're you're kind of part of the story. You know, you really want to know what happens. You care for the characters. And there's something to what you say there about the way the ambiguity that's in these old movies. Uh, but you, you need to. And we saw this, uh, you know, in preparation for today, I rewatched Stagecoach and I love the the this is a John Ford film for our for our listeners. And. I just love the way you need to 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 feel. I mean, it's, it's fairly obvious what Dallas does for a living, but 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 still, there's it's ambiguous, you know. And a lot of it is told without dialogue, and and it's sub rosa. It's underneath, you know, what's what people are saying. And and whereas now a Netflix TV show would they do a voiceover? They would be they'd be telling you everything. It would. Whereas I just was struck by. You know the, the the poetry and and the ambiguity of of of, of just a, even a, a film like Stagecoach. Yes, absolutely. And I was you know watching those, obviously rewatching some of them in in preparation for today. And uh, I was actually remarking that's exactly what I was remarking to my husband last night. And I said, I cannot believe you know how John Ford has this these westerns that he made, and not even only westerns, but I think of Young Mister Lincoln, for example. Um, with Henry Fonda, I, there's a there's it, there's a painterly quality to it, and you kind of enter into this image, and you have to kind of fill it in yourself. But at the same time, like you said, in Stagecoach, we know what she does, right? We we understand because of the uh, because of how others are treating her, because of the fact that all those you know prudish women you know kicked her out of town, right? And, the Temperance and League. The Temperance, that's right. So. Um, I, I, and I think to, and I think the same goes for violence in John Ford's films. Uh, it, a lot of it is, most of it is not seen. And I think as a result, it's actually more powerful. And, you know, for you to imagine that, um, you know, that not only, not only physical violence, but to, to imagine the emotional violence that is actually going on um, and how almost unaffected these char- characters are. There's the kind of, immediate movement towards the next next uh, path in life you know the, you know today they would dwell on it right the, the center of the film today is trauma uh, or so right? true yes yeah yes. so and or any sort of uh, you know um, you have to throw in different kind of characters for some kind of diversity which has no connection to the story at all and I that's my biggest problem with today's you know films or shows. Oh, here's a feminist, or here's a gay character. I'm waiting for the trans character. You know that, that, that. <laughs> you don't have to wait long. No, yeah, I don't think right. so. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I've always, and I want to qualify that actually because I think my problem with today's films is that they don't, they don't get into the interiority of these characters. Like, if let's say if there is a gay character, he he or she is just kind of ideologically gay. It's like a theoretical thing. You don't really actually see what goes on in their life in their mind, in their heart. And I think that's, to me, that means it's purely ideological, you know, to, to put something like that in the film, you have a, you have a different purpose other than human purpose, you know? I completely agree because, you know, I encourage everyone who's listening to, 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 to watch Stagecoach. I think it's one of the greatest, well, now I think it's just one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, certainly in that, that, that amazing year of, it was 1939, incredible movie, after yes. incredible movie in that same year. Uh, but think of the characters in that movie. We've got, all of them in that stagecoach, it's not really necessarily about their identity. It's about that they've got they've got they've got big, as you say, existential problems. We've got like a guy who is like a like a, a disgraced doctor. We've got a you know who comes good. We've got yeah, we've got a 
the, the 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 hooker with the heart of gold, you know, who who's being treated subhuman by everyone. We've got we've got Ringo. We've got. I mean, people have got these amazing uh, 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 journeys. These 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 human huge big journeys and i just feel as you say now it would be about it would be skin deep literally it would be about genitals and about like a show like euphoria i've walked in and out when my wife's watching this show euphoria and i just go what the hell is this show like it is just (laughs) like it's just bodies like writhing and i mean which is fine like i mean i like you know you like it when it's done i uh you know for effect but this is just like you know this obsession with um they don't care about uh, character arcs or, or where, where these characters are going. It's just skin deep, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly it. It's a kind of, it gives you a little surface exactly of, of what what they might be, but um, um, the, ultimately I feel like there's really no meaning, right? I can't connect to these people. I can't, I, I should care about these characters, right? I should care about what happens with them. Uh, some films rely more on plot and, you know, movement of the story. Some don't, but I think that, um, uh, I think of somebody like David Lynch, for example, it's a highly surrealist director, obviously. Uh, the, the story doesn't matter that much. But if you think of something like Blue Velvet, I mean, you care about what happens to Dorothy Valance, right? The fact, is she going to die? Is Frank Booth going to kill her? Is, is Frank Booth going to, you know, um, kill Jeffrey Beaumont? I mean, there's a, there's a kind of, you know, like Lynch goes also into the violence, actually, into these mundane violence uh, uh, events. And then, you know, he takes you in there through his own lens, obviously, through the sort of surrealist lens. So it can't be done. I think it doesn't have to be kind of, you know, the way John Ford does it almost linearly, you know, his, his stories are like a great novel or, you know, uh, 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 they're almost biblical to me, you know, when you read a, a you know, or, or a myth, when you read it, you're really into it and you want to know what happens. So I, so the surrealism to go back to, it can be done well, but I think today what's happening is that there's no bigger meaning, you know, I, there's no existential meaning and there's no ultimately like this idea of whether these characters are relating to each other or relating to the world. Now I haven't seen Euphoria. Is that a TV show or? It, well, that's all anyone watches now. And uh, yes, it's, it's this, like, I think it's, I don't quote me. I think it's Barry Levinson's son maybe uh, did this okay. show called Euphoria. And it's about teens. There's, you know, there's a trans character in it and okay. everyone's just everyone's sort of just having sex being miserable and doing drugs basically but <laughs> but not in a cool like Gaspar Noé way it's 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 like a it's not in that way it's it's a it's a it's in the other way the way that the only way you're allowed to do it now which is what we've been talking about right so basically there's no eros there's no passion there's no almost like you know I was I was writing about this uh, this idea that there isn't even any good old fashioned hedonism anymore, right? <laughs> of, of what there, right? Not that I'm advocating it, but I'm just saying, like we we have we have lost sort of the you know any kind of embodiment, right? So we're just kind of floating around in space and. But in, but, no but in the cinema, we used to but we used to, to you could just go to a movie like Mulholland Drive and it would have that in it, that element in yes. it, yes. and that would that would be fine. And it's not like we're of course, we're not advocating for it, but it's meant to be the space of dreams and nightmares, and 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 yes. whatever whatever goes when we sit down in the dark. And now, it's it's incredibly moral, um, and it's incredibly literal as well. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we've been on our on another podcast we do, we've been watching the work of uh, Hodorowski, Hodorowski, and mm, okay. again, another filmmaker. You just do not you do not get this sort of this dazzling. Uh, uh, sort of the depth of feeling and scope and and the transgression and all of that, all of that is has just been completely replaced. Uh, I, I think what Tarantino says is right. We are sort of in the fifties now again. This is the nineteen fifties, hmm. you know. Perhaps. I mean, what do you think of something like? Do you think that's probably a big call? He means he means like visually or or. I think he means in the, morally. I think. Oh, morally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the repression. Okay. You know, uh, this idea. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I have to say, yes, absolutely. The society is completely repressed and it's repressed in every way, you know, whether it comes to life, whether it comes to arts, uh, you know, literature, film, whatever it is, it's, you know, I think, I don't know how this happened where we're not allowed to make judgments anymore and we're not allowed to be funny. We're not allowed to laugh, uh, you know, 
and how, how did this minority decide this? I guess, I think for the most part, people want to live a normal life. Um, so you may be, maybe it's a different kind of moralism though. I think that the fifties had maybe some sort of connection to religion, but I think that now it's almost like a nihilistic moralism, you know, it's, it's, it's really not connected to anything at all. Um, I think that's what makes it for me, at least, I don't know, uh, um, what you guys think, but for me, at least it makes it difficult to define. Uh, and then I think a lot of it hinges, a lot of the fights that we're fighting right now, culturally hinge on defining them. And they've always kind of, they're eluding that they're sort of, they're, they're escaping that definition because, um, maybe because of the digitization. You know that that kind of runs parallel in well, my mind. One of my questions was 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 how do we even watch movies these days? Because obviously we have we have all these streaming sites, but but they don't tend to to play a lot of older films. Um, I, I mean, I haven't checked, but I, I, I wouldn't assume that, that Netflix has many John Ford films there. But, you know, it just seems like um, even if you wanted to see great cinema, it's very difficult to do so. I think so. And as a result, I think people don't know about it. And I think the older generation is complaining, oh, look at these people. They, 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 don't, they don't know how to appreciate, you know, old movies or, or you know, uh, books or et cetera, you know, classics. I just don't think they know about it. And I've, and I've had this experience actually as a, as a teacher where um, I would introduce films to, to students. And these are like, let's say they're between 19 and 22 years old, right? This was in college. And um, they're astounded that such thing exists. It's just never been introduced. Do you have an example? Um, let's say I introduced, well, certainly I, when it comes to books, I, we introduced, did some Plato and, uh, you know, different, different philosophy and different, different literature from the movies. I, I showed them the seventh seal and they were absolutely, you know, wait a second, who dies here? What's going on? Does he die? You know, <laughs> Is he dead? you know, uh, but I, I think that they were, they were gripped by the fact that these characters are thinking about death and you know, wait a second, what? Are we supposed to think about mortality? That's what I mean. You know, there's these almost basic things that we need to kind of that are part of us uh, as human beings. And the the younger generation, certainly, I would say people in their twenties and 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 um, uh, younger are not really thinking about it. Now, I'm making a generalization. There's 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 many people that are younger that do think about these things. But I think on the whole, culturally, uh, this seems to be not just American thing, but I think it's a global thing. Uh, which mm. is what makes the problem bigger, you know. Mm. Um, but I do think that if these things are introduced to to younger people, they really do take to it. Uh, I mean, there will be always those who are going to rely on on TikTok and other superficial things that to you know, uh, or as or as their only form of culture. Of cinema. Um, what was that? Cinema. Of cinema. Like, of you know. cinema. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 an interesting genre. <laughs> so, uh, get in the car. This is the get in your car and cry genre, right? Like, there's there's. <laughs> so. Well, I, I wouldn't mind taking just a step back for a second here. Would you mind telling us about your your background and how you got to the United States? Sure. Um, so, so the war in Bosnia started in 1992, and I've spent about almost a year in the, in the war. And uh, as the winter was coming, um, we just didn't know how things are going to go. And uh, we signed up for a convoy that was only of women and children that was going to the Czech Republic. And um, actually, at, the, at that point, it was still Czechoslovakia. They split up while I was while I was there. But um, um, we really had planned um, to stay in the camp maybe for three months, you know, to then go back. You sort of think this is just over the winter. And that turned into almost four years, actually, of being in the refugee camp. Um, in the meantime, I uh, we realized that there's not going to be much future in the post-war country, or at least I wanted to come to America and um, applied for through the uh, program. And uh, we got actually rejected. Uh, and uh, I wrote up an appeal. And then the, after that, uh, we got accepted, emigrated to the United States in 96. Um, so I was, what, almost 17 years old. 
Um, so that's sort of a very, very brief. <laughs> you, you hit the United States just in time to see uh, Independence Day on the big screen. Oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> well, that's actually interesting because that summer, that summer was a very, very tough time um, for a variety of reasons. You know, my, I was with my mother um, and um, we were in the United States. My father was um, stayed in Bosnia and then um, a month, not even a month after after we arrived in the United States, he died and he died in Bosnia. So the last time I saw him was uh, in um, at the end of 92 when we left. So that summer, what I'm the reason I'm mentioning this, that, that summer was one of the most difficult, that first year really in the United States was one of the most difficult years in my life. And particularly that summer, because we came in in May and, um, and I just went to the movies a lot. So wow. that's, that's kind of what, what sort of, um, in a way kept me going i mean i was reading too you know that obviously but it was the movies that i always came back to you know and and the fact that i that i have great memories of watching movies with my dad i think that sort of in some way connected me to it so um anyway but yes so that was that's sort of a a very brief you know a background of of how i came to united states well well how does your personal history affect the way you see america because there's this perception in the in the US now that that it's a very racist place to be and 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 <laughs> even though even though you see lots of people you know you know crossing borders to to get to the United States uh but right. but do you see the culture wars differently because of your experience yeah i mean i i don't i, I don't think that um there is i think a lot of the thing is what's going on right now is that the media is certainly hyping a lot of a lot of things I think for the most part, people in the United States do get along. Otherwise, I don't think the country would last <laughs> this long since its founding. But um, I, I think the trouble I have right now is the fact that things that, that they're claiming to be racist are actually not racist. And then when there is real racism uh, happening, that's really denied. Um, so there's a creation, I think, of a, of a problem um, where reality will be denied. I felt the same way actually about the Me Too movement because of um, everything suddenly became rape and everything was sexual harassment. Everything was, you know, uh, anti-woman. And then, you know, the, the, the real victims then were actually not heard. But in any case, I think that as, as for my experience, I love America. I came here of my own choosing. And um there are many things that are not perfect in this country, just like in any country. Um, but one of the things that I really dislike about um, anti-Americans or anti-Americans, the leftists that are anti-American, most of them are leftists, I would say, although these days I'm not even sure how to define them anymore. Those old categories don't seem to work anymore. But what I really don't like is the fact that they have this deep hatred and contempt for, for United States and uh, and what, you know, they like to call middle America or flyover country. And, you know, I, I guess what happened to live and let live, you know, there, there's so many different, I think, aesthetic and, and moral experiences in the United States. And one of the things that makes it great is the fact that everyone can live out their potential and their purpose. They have the freedom to do so in this country. And I think that the, the left really doesn't, want that to happen i i just don't think they're interested in flourishment you know so that's where i'm coming from with that well we will circle back to the movies eventually but I, look i'm so delighted that you agreed to come on the show because it's hard to find anyone interested in cinema movies and books or culture and art who has not been totally ideologically captured uh so when i read your work on american greatness i was struck by your robust approach and your interesting takes on on art and culture reminded me of an older time, a time when, I, in fact, I would argue that what I've what I've read of yours um, doesn't really have uh, necessarily a, a, a political bent or, or anything like that. It's you're going for something else that we used to celebrate a, a lot more in in film writing, which was yeah, going deeper into the heart, and it could go anywhere really. Now, but I suppose the question for me is, when did you notice? That art and entertainment, in particular, I guess, have been had been completely captured by this sort of niche leftist uh, uh, ideas. 
I've let's see. Well, I've noticed it when uh, when Bush was president. Wow, the, that long ago. The Sun. Yes, I mean they were they were making a lot of movies that were anti-Bush. You know, Bush is bad. Bush is evil. It was like it was ridiculous. You know, uh, it, it, they were just connect. Bush is Hitler. You know, a conservative is always Hitler. You know, that's, <laughs> that's always the case. But uh, what is it? The reductio ad Hitler room. That's their argument. You know, everybody I don't yes. like is Hitler, right? So, um, but I didn't notice the. Um, the the it was more like a political statement i think that's what they were doing and and uh and then when they started introducing a different kind of forms of sexuality i think it was sort of it was subversive in a way that it was inhuman i i think that's that's when i noticed it but maybe what five years ago seven years ago uh, I'm trying to think, like, when did I really stop going to the movies? I mean, this is sort of sad, but uh, maybe the last great movie I saw was Whiplash in the theater, that is, mm. um, uh, which was, I don't know if you guys have seen Whiplash. It's, I think Ricky's uh, seen yeah, it. I've yes. seen it, yeah. Uh, which is just a, you know, a complete anti, uh, what, uh, um, anti-triggering, anti-trauma, you know, uh, yes. uh, film. Um, so... Um, but I, I'm thinking maybe seven years ago, maybe something like that, maybe six years ago, I've, I've sort of noticed more and more subversive sort of um, um, substanceless films. And I, and I noticed it also in the, in the TV shows. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of mysteries and um, I've watched probably, I watched every year, Cool Poirot, right? David Suchet, you know, I, I, I really like it. And I noticed in the later ones, they started introducing um gay characters which were not in books or or if they were they were kind of implied and they kind of throw it in into it they they kind of go look look there's a gay person there's a gay person and there's a you know there's a kind of like throwing it in your face as a as a way of trying to make you feel uncomfortable i think and um i think they they're they're almost trying to create some sort of hatred actually in in a way uh, maybe they're not on purpose, but uh, I've I noticed, and it, it would take away from the story. So um, anything that takes away from the story for me kind of loses it. You know, uh, again, if if you do have a, a a character that you're only trying to ideologize, right? Um, that that loses it for me. You know, because you're not showing the the interior life of this person. Um, and then when you object to it, when the critic objects to it, which I don't see a lot of film writers do to be honest with you but when they do object to it then you might be called a hater or something like that you know which is i don't know it's, 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 it's it to me this is so boring isn't it the mm. fact that that they they sort of revert back to that right away always you're you're bad you're a hater you're a racist it's but those are the reviewers that we used to love like like pauline kale if if being a hater was was wrong then pauline kale's writing would you know i mean what you do is you used to love the how passionate she someone a reviewer like her was so if she yeah. hated something, then she wanted the person like burned down like right. to the ground. But if she loved right. it, then she loved it more than anything yes. in the world. And this was the sort of mercurial figures that we used to like. And now, uh, you know, you just see, you just go on Slate or any of these websites where people are doing their hot takes. And it's just, it's also homogenized and everyone's just singing from the same hymn sheet. It is. And there you go. You say hot take, right? Everything is a hot take. It's more like a very, very lukewarm, cold spaghetti, cold plate of spaghetti, you know, hot take. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's it's like everyone is rushing to say something original. I think that's really what it is. And in the end, I think what happens is they're all falling in line with, with a particular ideology. And um, so for me, I think uh, art is... I don't think it's dead. Art is never dead. You know, as soon as you have a, a, a voice that that's emerging, that's going to try to make something beautiful or something good. Uh, it's, it's not dead. You know, uh, Tarkovsky, you know, said that the great art is born out of, out of pressure or is born out of uh, um, conditions that are not perfect. I mean, think of him, my goodness, he was making films during communism films that, have nothing to do with communism, yet have everything to do with it, right? That's the whole thing. And they they stand this test of time and that's what makes them beautiful. So, um, uh, but I, I don't really know because there's a lack of imagination. I wonder where, where it's, where it's going to keep going, right? I think that's the problem. People don't seem to have courage, right? 
to 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 say something, to write something, to make the film, you know, to make a statement, make a statement so I can disagree with it, for goodness sake, you know, uh, like like you said, Pauline Kael, right? I mean, I don't particularly like her, but uh, I'm a kind critic, you know, I'm a kind writer. I I, I try I try to write kind reviews, but at well, the same I, well, time, well, I have a question, Amina, because you said it about courage. I have to, since we're on this track. I've been complaining for a couple of years now about to our listeners, where are our heroes? Where are what? Like, because some of them are still alive. Mm. Some of them are still alive. A lot of them are dying one by one or whatever, but a lot of them are still alive and some of them aren't that old. They, they are, and this is, they are, I don't know. I don't want to be too, too bold in what I say, but I get the, they are behaving in a very cowardly way. You know what I mean? Like why hasn't Martin Scorsese condemned what's going on? Why? I mean, Tarantino sort of has, I mean, these are the, these are the newer sort of, sort of people, I guess, but, but it's like, think of all of those, those seventies brats, you know, why haven't they, that the film, the, the, the um, new wave, American new wave, why have they all not stood together and, and, and roundly condemned all of the all of what's going on, the censorship, the ideology, the 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 anti the anti um, creativity, and why and same for, same for Khan. Why hasn't everyone got up at Khan, the Beethoven, and everyone and said, "What's going on is dreadful, and you should all be ashamed of yourself." Yes, that that's exactly it. It's like they're are they afraid of losing money? I mean, is that what it comes down to? I don't know about that. I mean, can you really picture Martin Scorsese, you know, scraping for money? I don't I don't think so. Uh, uh, at this point, probably not. Or Tarantino. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just making assumptions here, right? But um, it's it's almost like they've they've become part of this culture and they let themselves be changed by it. Um, and- I heard Spielberg use the word latinx in an interview. Oh yes, that was dreadful. <laughs> Is that how that's pronounced? <laughs> well, it's not, but I say that because it sounds silly. <laughs> I know okay. how it's pronounced. I know how it's pronounced. I refuse to pronounce it the way they okay, want me all to. All right, all right. You're gonna have to tell me later after the podcast. Latinx, I think. So, but but it's a, yeah. it's a it's dreadful uh, terminology. But to hear him say it, because we the research is in. We've read that that uh, new, huge swathes of the Hispanic population are deeply offended by this term. And here he is going, "I'm hip. I'm cool. Like you know, uh, there's lots of Latinx people in my movie." And you and you're just like, goodness me. Get back to making proper movies, Spielberg. Yes, yes. yes. It's kind of like, you know, please don't cancel me. Love me. I'm okay. I'm okay. Really. I know I'm old, but... But uh, you know, I'm I'm yeah, exactly. I'm hip. I'm I'm cool. You know, uh, it's I'm with it. You know, it's it's but, ridiculous. But it's like it, you it really said, is. John. I mean, th- these guys could stand up because they're essentially uncancelable. You know, how could you cancel Steven Spielberg? How could you cancel Tarantino? You know, if these guys all stood up sort of a- at the same time. Well, well, Bill Murray got cancelled the other day for some inappropriate joke. Yeah, oh, he he did some sort of, I don't know what it was. It would have been some on-set joke that was off-colour and um, it, they shut the movie down. Like, it just was like, that was it. So, and I saw him grovelling for the first time in his life, some interview where he was like, oh, I'd really like to get back and work through the problem with the person and maybe we can start making the movie again. So, you know, that's what they're afraid of. And it's interesting, these personal things become public, which is the Mm. other thing that's, I think, part of it. Like if you're saying about him, you know, what he did. What do we care what happened on the set? (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, if if you have a beef with somebody or somebody has a beef with you, you deal deal with it, figure it out. You know, we don't really care. But I think that uh, it's I think we're dealing actually with a lot of mediocre people and uh, who are trying to get rid of excellence and by also uh, uh, kind of squashing the these these old guys, right? That that are not necessarily even that old. I mean, Tarantino is how old is Tarantino? He's not old. He's he must 50? be sixty. Okay, he's approaching sixty, if not approaching almost, sixty. Yeah, I mean, he's the, he started very young, obviously, but uh, they're they're trying to really kind of that that sort of grit. Actually, uh, they're 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 trying to get uh, get rid of that because I think they themselves, these people that are trying to get rid of it, are mediocre. And the only thing that they that they can think of is uh, uh, is is getting rid of greatness or getting rid of excellence. That's I think that's part of also anti-American movement actually. The fact that they're they're trying to say that uh, potential of what you can do in life uh, uh, doesn't really matter, right? So well, yeah, uh, you recently took an an old-fashioned road trip 
across America that served as the spark for a few pieces you, you've written online, which really resonated with me actually, because I've made a similar trip across uh, the width of Australia. Uh, can you tell us about this trip and, and the impression it made on you? Oh my goodness. Yes. So it was like, we did it over two weeks and uh, I've, you know, I got an invitation to go to a conference in uh, La Jolla in California. And um, remember when I got the invitation and I said to my husband, look at this, we have, I have an invitation. Well, I can't accept this. He's like, no, accept it. We're driving. I'm like, wait, 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 what do you mean? We're driving. He's like, oh yeah, we, we will drive. So, <laughs> so, uh, and we have a five-year-old son. So it's not just, you know, two of us, there's a lot of other different things that came into it, but um, it was really, it was like a dream actually now, but then we came back, it, it, it feels a little bit like a nice dream. Um, wild strawberries. Wild, <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Although maybe not as morbid. No, no, no not as you, you know. You're not going to die like next week. No, no, no. Uh, exactly. Not like that. But all the dream stuff. No, no, the dream stuff. Absolutely. So um, I think um, it, it really is a different experience when you're on the road, when you're kind of feeling that embodied, embodied world. When you're in, particularly for for me, it was the experience of the desert because you're you're driving and you're driving and there is nothing for miles and miles and miles and you're wondering is this car going to stop working you know every time you saw a gas station you stopped and filled up you know and the gas station is like you know it says like town of you know three people you know particularly new mexico that was one of the uh, one of one of the states we drove through so i think really this what made me also think is that this country is really intense extremely beautiful uh, also uncertain because you just don't know what's going to happen. Like when we drove through Kansas, we missed that tornado by a day and the weather was already changing while we were driving. Was this that video <laughs> you know? of the tornado, like tearing, just tearing yes. houses up? Tearing houses. Yes. Mm. This is the recent one. Right. So we, we thought, Oh my goodness, can you believe that? You know? So, so I think there's a lot of uncertainty that comes into it, but this sort of idea of self-reliance certainly came out for me uh, uh, that is obviously deeply American. And perhaps I would say Australian. I mean, would you say that? the fact, Especially if you are kind of in the middle of nowhere, there's a lot of, there is a lot of uncertainty of, of what's going to happen. You know, how, how is this, this earth, this landscape going to work against you or for you? Um, Yes. Yeah. Well, well, the Australian, uh, I mean, we, we, we have a great desert in in the middle of our country too. And, and you know, it's very intense landscape and, and yeah, you, 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 you're in a lot of trouble if you get, if you get stuck out there. Um, so it does give you a feeling of, uh, of vulnerability, but, but, but also of awe as well. I mean, I mean, you're, you're so small against the landscape and, um, and I just love seeing seeing the landscape sort of change in in in, in slow motion in a way because it it, t- it took me four days to drive uh, from Melbourne to Perth and th- and that was doing twelve hour twelve hour days in the car so wow. most most people take a week a week to do that um, but when I told people that that I was driving across Australia rather than than flying everyone everyone I spoke to said I was crazy. And everyone thought it was such a boring thing to do. The, 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 the term boring came up a lot. And uh, did you get a similar reaction? And, and what, do you, what do you think that says about our modern culture that traveling through a vast open expanse that's both beautiful and dangerous can be seen by so many as boring? I, I didn't, I'm not sure I, people told me that, but they, were, they did tell me we were crazy, particularly with our son. You know, he's five years old. You, you kind of have to, when, you, when the kids are in, 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 in the mix, it's totally a different story, right? But they said we were crazy and that we really, it's easier. Just, it's easier. Just, just, t- just fly. And there was no way I was going to fly. There was no way I was going to put on a mask and, and deal with these stupid flight attendants and deal with, with people that are, you know, telling you to put on the mask because that's how you're supposed to do. Um, so that was completely out of question. You know, I was just not going to do it. And besides we wanted to experience that. Right. But the question is, right. Why is it boring? Why would that be boring? Is mm-hmm. it, I wonder if it, if it's also a part of that lack of courage we were talking about that uh, people don't want to venture out. And uh, I think COVID has contributed to that. Um, to that sort of atomization of of of, uh, of our lives or of how we relate to each other, but isn't that so sad that somebody thinks it's boring to see mm. a, a, a different place, to see a place that you don't 
uh, that you don't know much about or that you don't you haven't experienced or whatever, mm. or the thrill. I mean, to drive 12 hours per day, that's a, that's a lot. That's, that's an endurance. I mean, I, I give you a lot of credit. Well, we, well I, I wasn't traveling with a five-year-old, but. Yeah, but, but still, <laughs> but still, I mean, we, of the most we did was 700 miles or over 700 miles in one day. Uh, uh, and usually we average between 500, about 500 miles. So, but yeah, it's a, it's an endurance. Mm. Uh, and also, I think there's a bit of a, you know, kind of a spirit to it, almost like a masculine spirit to it. You're trying to prove something. And what's wrong with that? You know, what? why are people not doing that? You think of, uh, I think of somebody like Werner Herzog, you know, to tie this back to the movies when he made. It's uh, Geraldo. It's Geraldo. Or Aguirre oh as well. You know, or just... exactly here he's dealing with the wacko Klaus Kinski on top of it, right? Yeah. So, uh, but somehow it works, and uh, they're trying to move the ship across a hill. Who does this, right? <laughs> but, but I'm so glad he did, and I, I don't think he would do it now in, in this age. That's that's the way he how old he is now, but that's that's a totally different life, right? It's not like you know, he, I don't think he's. I've never heard him say that he shouldn't have done it, right? It's it's mm. it's really what he what he did. But to be in that contact, that kind of contact with nature, that's really working against you. Actually, it's uh, nature is very violent. Well, that's um, what he says. I heard him. I can picture him saying, uh, "Nature is uh, a nightmare. It will eat you alive." Like yes, he, he says that yes. famous quote. <laughs> yes, he yes, yes, he's Actually, if you see, uh, I recommend if you haven't seen The Burden of Dreams, which oh, is yes. uh, Les Blank's documentary on on making a Fitzcarraldo. And, and uh, at some point, Herzog says, uh, you know, uh, Kinski thinks that the nature is erotic. And he said, I don't. I can't do his accent, but it's just the delivery <laughs> of it, of course, is great. And he's like, like, I don't. I think it's just violence and fornication. You know, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> and, uh, it's eating you up. Well, we always do. Said. We always do his line from um, uh, Grizzly Man. <laughs> and he yes. says, oh, yes, no human <laughs> should ever listen to this audio. He plays a. <laughs> He plays the ta- the tape of the guy getting mauled by this bear to the to someone, and he goes, "I'm not going to play it." But we watch the person listening to it, and he, then he, t- he says in his famous way, as Ricky just said, "No humans should listen to this tape ever." <laughs> very very dramatic, you know. Yes, yes, it, it, uh, it's a, it, yes, exactly. He has a way of getting into the truth in a very a very Herzog way, only way he can do. But in any case, yeah, there's this violence, right? Violence of nature uh, that we're we're actually forgetting. And and it kind of, isn't it ironic and just so funny, the fact that most of these people are environmentalists, yet they fundamentally misunderstand nature. Mm. Yet they don't want to actually be face-to-face with it. Mm. Uh, uh, and... And, and if I can say that nature has a face, right? But they, they don't want to actually come against it in any way. They're just talking about some global environmentalism and, and green energy, and which is just a code word for totalitarianism. And we know that. We know that they couldn't care less about this planet, you know, in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think we can go back, obviously, to these other images or realities of, of uh, sort of embodiment. But the truth is though, that the earth isn't going anywhere. The, 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 the landscape is, the landscape is there. And I think that's probably what you experienced, right? When you were driving uh, through mm-hmm. Australia and what we've experienced. So I, I, it's, it's there and it's going nowhere. I mean, we drove through a sandstorm in California. It was the most bizarre experience. You know, I've, we, we don't, never saw that you know so it it just oh, that's, kind of that's just boring right right it's it's yeah imagine that it's kind of like this lack of lack of pleasure and anhedonia right you can't really feel anything um people are taking their own version of soma right of what uh huxley was talking about mm. in brave new world right yeah. so um and I don't know how do you convince people, right, to, to kind of step away from that and to um, you need a better force. You need a better force, I think, in 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 culture to to speak the truth without being boorish. I mean, I think there are a lot of people out there that are trying to uh, uh, speak the truth and then they end up really sounding like a bunch of jerks. I don't know if you guys have experienced <laughs> this. Right. But they it's really true. do. You know, it's yeah. true. It's true. Uh, 
<laughs> They're the most strident voices. Yeah, yeah on, particularly on the right as well. Like you know. Yes, actually, and that's yeah. actually what I'm talking about. Exactly, the the, the sort, sort of conservatives that are. They're, they're trying to constantly trigger the left in, in their own way. Mm. And to me, that's a waste of time. You know, just speak the truth. Um, but there's no reason to let go of being a, I guess, a classy or a polite person. I, I don't know. I don't know why that should, why we should just steer in a sort of, uh, I see a lot of mocking, mm. mocking from both sides. They're just kind of uh, going at each other and, and mocking. So um, and, and ultimately, I think both sides conform to a particular ideology of their own choosing. And so as a result, there's really no room for maverick of any kind. Uh, but says who? I guess that's really it. Like, why, why should we accept this? Right? Yes. Yeah. We live in a culture where the sexes are encouraged by mass media to be at war with each other, or, or at least that's my perception. Uh, masculinity has been, been pathologized to the point where, where traits such as competitiveness, stoicism and, and aggression are seen as toxic and beyond the pale. I, I think some players in this battle of the sexes seem to think that the world would be a much better place if masculinity just didn't exist at all. Uh, why should women care about masculinity and, and why do you care about it? Well, I've I think that if you, the attack on masculinity right now uh, is also an attack on the feminine. And what I mean by that is that if you, if you get rid of that balance, then the feminine actually won't be able to um, uh, have, its, have its own purpose, if you will. I mean, I think everything has a kind of end teleology, right? So there's a, um, there are different variations, right? As, as human beings of what we have. I do think that there's a certain fluidity in gender but it's a fluidity that's merely aesthetic. I think that's, uh, you know, think of David Bowie. He's a perfect example of that, right? Uh, there were so many stages of his career uh, where his, his uh, um, this, this, this gender uh, fluidity was, was an aesthetic experience only, right? He was a man. <laughs> and he, I think he embraced the fact that he was a man. I don't think there was any, any um, um, uh, problem there, but, I, I think that to deny this sort of straightforwardness, aim, uh, directedness that is a masculine trait, it means that the society will, will not progress, actually. You won't have any creation, right? And Camille Paglia said, right, in the sexual persona, right? Um, if, uh, if women were on, on each side of the, uh, if there was a river b between them, uh, women would be spending time waving at each other uh, whereas men would build a bridge, right? <laughs> and that's supposedly, a, you know, a, a, a sexist statement or whatever. But she's really talking about these traits, you know. Now, a woman can be masculine, right, in the sense that she's, she's straightforward or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that these are necessarily only linked to men, women specifically, right? But um, at the same time, how is, this, how is the society supposed to survive if the very center of creation, which is the relation between men and women, is, is being completely twisted and denied and rejected and changed into this uh, trans movement right now, which is, that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you guys think, but I don't quite understand where is this trans movement going or why this is even a thing. Uh, uh, you know, it's a. <laughs> that's so it, true. Why? <laughs> that's what I want to say more often. Why is this even a thing? <laughs> it's so true. Right. It's gone. It's because it, because I thought we could. You know, it wasn't the rule that if you were trans, you know, I take you as as you come, pretty much, and you know, we're all doing our job. We're friends, or you know, we respect each other, whatever. But now it's 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 become a. It's actually getting quite exciting. It's becoming rather cinematically creepy. It's becoming like something out of a movie, like where mm -hmm. where it's it like 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 the last part of Fight Club, like Project you know Mayhem or something. Like it's becoming, it's changing into this new thing where you know it, it's it, this religion and you got to say the words and and if you don't and and up up is down and down is up and it's you know we can no longer say what a woman is and 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 therefore it's just corroding everything in, in art in particular right right exactly and it's and i think these people are to me this is performative all this trans stuff is performative think of somebody like uh uh, uh well he calls himself rachel levine right the health assistant mm. to the health secretary yeah. right and um woman of the year 
woman of the year woman of the year I mean, isn't that insane, right? It's yeah. insane. And it's actually, it's, I mean, this is a, an anti-woman movement. This is not only anti-men movement, but it's, it's an anti-woman movement. Spectacularly well. anti-woman. And that, oh that, it's, it's on a level, on a, on a galactic scale. It really is. It, I mean, you, you want to tell me what a woman is, you can't even put on a makeup, right? <laughs> it's, it's absurd. It's that absurd, right? You know, he, he looks ridiculous. I guess I refuse to call him a she. He looks ridiculous. Yeah. He looks oh. laughable. You know, and but isn't isn't it, isn't it made worse though that he spent what is it the first 40, 50 years of his life as a man and then decides that he's I'm a woman of the year, right? And then right. becomes and a woman I, of the year, right? And and it's, you wonder like why? Why are you? You see, just a gay man that's not really willing to admit that, which would be better, right? Mm. Then he can actually then he can actually live out his life in honesty and authenticity. Uh, you see, a mediocre person. Who doesn't even know how to do his job, right? You see, you see a really, a really spectacularly bad bureaucrat, like a mediocre bureaucrat, uh, uh, and he needs this in order to gain attention or to get anything, right? I mean, it's a, I, I can't see this person as doing their job, and I think that's really the point here. It's the fact that he is. This is a performative thing, right? They've taken the things that are, if you think of transvestites or drag queens or something like that, this is something that that is fundamentally a performative act a performance you go to it's a burlesque show it's a you know whatever you, you see these things on stage because this is the sphere that they belong to and now what they've done is they've taken this and put it into a sphere of ethics or morality or or politics right which is what we see with this levine character um so and i to go back to the to the movie see if you think of uh, twin peaks the, uh, David, David Duchovny, Duchovny David yeah. Duchovny as Denise, right? First of all, it's hilarious. <laughs> David Duchovny in drag. It's just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful. But the point here is that actually in that series, his character gets the job done. Mm. So in, the, in a very like, John Wayne kind of way. Yes. Yes. That, that, that's what's so funny about it. And so the fact that, that this is David Duchovny dressed as a woman, it's a kind of, it's, it's a comical thing. But it's almost, you know, incidental. There it is. He gets the job done. And so what I'm saying is that you have this lack of getting the job done. That's 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 the thing that's sacrificed, and uh, for this kind of performative act. You used to be able to laugh at 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 men in in dress dressed as women. You know, I mean, you think of, of shows right. like Little Britain or Monty you know Python. Monty Python. But but now anything you, British really anything, anything British. British. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but now yes. now you have to see it. You know, proud, brave, all, courageous. Yes. Beautiful. Brave, yeah. Sexy. Right. All of the good stuff. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm supposed to love it. Right. You know. I mean, I don't have. I don't have hatred in my heart if that's what they want me to do. I have a kind of indifference, but it's a indifference in a way that's an you know an aesthetic indifference. Um, but I I don't really quite. I'm still trying to sort of uh, uh, arrest the meaning of it and uh, trying to figure out why this particular ideology is used right now. Mm. Is it to break down? The family structure? Is it to break down sexuality itself? I mean, certainly what's going on in schools in the United States when it comes to children um, uh, and teaching of this stuff, uh, of uh, encouraging children to make a transition from being a boy to a girl and girl to a boy, this is pretty insane stuff. As, a, as opposed to uh, a, a good person or, you know, a, a fine human or someone yes. who, who didn't know maths to someone who knows maths. Right. You know, that's the transition I right. want to see happen. Yes, exactly. Are you seeing the same thing in Australia? There's this kind of... We usually get a watered-down version, but it's coming. Yeah. 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 It's coming. Up. We're always a little bit behind what, 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 happens, <laughs> in, what happens in the US, you know. So. Right, right. Well, maybe we can round it out by coming back to uh, John Wayne and, and, and John Ford and see... Yeah, uh, if you know, I mean, you've written about these these men. What is it about these these men and their work that you're drawn to? Um, well, it's the it's this um, straightforwardness. Um, it's it's also a kind of mysterious interiority, right? Um, that you don't really know who they are completely. Um, and but the fact that they're that they're striving. Um, um, to be better men in some way, you know, like think of something out of the past with Robert Mitchum, right? He's, he's, a, he's just constantly trying to actually 
be a good man and uh and in 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 his own flawed way right and john wayne too like in the searchers that's another john ford film right um i also like the fact that some of these images represent a mythology of america and i know a lot of the times they will say but those are myths right those those images they're romanticized they never existed these men don't exist i think that this this myth uh um uh, representation is a good thing, actually. It's um, it gives us because every myth gives us the truth. That's like what what if, if it didn't happen? Let's say if you say, for example, if you think of Greek myths, right? So you say, well, that never happened. So who cares, right? But we do care because it says something about human beings. It says something about who we are. I think fundamentally. So do you see the the the, the uh, American Western as as uh, a mythology? Not completely. I mean, there's a, there's a, certainly not in John Ford. I think that he is optimistic and pessimistic at the same time. I don't think that he, he sees things so, um, you know, so simply when it comes to United States. There's a great, uh, I, I was rewatching, I was watching the um, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, and one of, the, one of the characters there who's a helper is black, right? And there's a great scene. Well, there are two scenes, actually, if I can mention them. Um, one is that uh, Jimmy Stewart's character is teaching the illiterate people of the town to read and, um, and also how America is governed. And he, um, uh, one of the Black characters, he says, um, he's trying to recite Declaration of Independence. And he, gets, he forgets some of it, and he gets stuck on the line that all men are created equal. Now, of course... It's very important that a black man is saying this, right? That's the first thing. And, uh, and he says to Jimmy Stewart's character, I'm so sorry, I forgot it. I, I, and, and Stewart's character says, that's okay, don't worry, many do. Now that's a beautiful line, right? Of what it really means in the United States, right? And then another scene is when, they, when there's a voting for, uh, for delegates, et cetera, they're trying to make a statehood out of their territory. And these people are going into both. They're giving their names and what have you. There's a Swedish immigrant with the papers that he's an American citizen. He's proud to go and vote. And it's so beautifully framed where they're all going in and, and Pompey, the black character, sits on the porch there with a, with a shotgun. And he is so, he is, he's sitting there because he's obviously unable to go in and vote. He's not allowed to do that. That's a that's a social that's not just a social commentary that's an existential commentary and that's what you get in John Ford so I think that uh, for him in any case it's a it's a mixture of of this pessimism and optimism I think westerns are to be honest with you I don't think that they are very happy movies mm. uh, I don't I don't think that they're like rah rah America I I think that they're just like the landscape in the United States I think they're rough I think they're beautiful. They're uncertain, but they're also solid. Absolutely. I mean, you know, some of the some of the the greatest movies are westerns. I I, I come back to them all the time. Um, oh, what's the Peckinpah one I want to watch recently? Is it um, uh, Ride the High Country? I watched that recently. Incredibly sad and beautiful western, or Naked Spur with Jimmy. You know, mm-hmm, I, I mean, mm-hmm. like these are dark and and beautiful pictures. When I was young, when I'm really young, I used to think westerns were so boring. And now I just think that they are the juice. I just think that's where it's at, you know. Yes, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that you could appreciate it more when you when you when you grow up. <laughs> I agree. Do you think the kind of masculinity that that we see in in films like Stagecoach and The Searchers is is dead and buried? Well, it's not the same, is it? You know, it really it 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 doesn't exist anymore in that form anyway. Uh, but I think it does. How about this? It doesn't exist aesthetically. This is the distinction I think we're not making today between the aesthetic expression and between uh, uh, sort of reality. So I don't think it exists aesthetically. I think this is the biggest assault right now that we're seeing by the the, the uh, negation of, of art, uh, of showing everything, right? Of, of showing the differences, uh, different actually aesthetic experiences. However, I do think that it is seen a lot of it is seen in people's consciousness in people's lives um so um there's a there's a i think a disconnect it's not the same i mean there is no there is no uh you know john wayne anymore that's a that's a different time entirely but i think that 
people can still be inspired by it. I think people can be inspired by the the fortitude. I think of of, uh, of these people, you know, the and even like the, the the crazy stuff they did, like on the um, uh, Robert Mitchum, um, um, uh, the Night of the Hunter, right, uh, um, by Charles Lawton. Uh, Robert Mitchum was drunk a lot during the filming of that. And um, he got mad either, not at Charles Lott, but at somebody there. I forget who it was. And he just went and urinated on his car. <laughs> you know, that's that's not exactly the most polite thing to do. But I guess what I'm saying is that people aren't making that sort of passionate statement, uh, <laughs> a passionate statement of any kind that you can maybe reject. You can say, well, that was a very stupid thing to do. Why'd you do that? Right. Well, what about Will Smith? Right. Right. Exactly. And did, you, and did you notice how everybody now had an opinion to make a judgment, a moral mm. judgment, and, and we can all be virtuous? <laughs> this is not the virtue that, that, that we're talking about. I, like, I thought his slapping was, was, was a bit rock and roll and old school Hollywood. Like it reminded me of old school Hollywood. But the fact that he was doing it for such a simp reason of like, he's sort of like led around by his wife. That was, see, John Wayne wouldn't have done that. He would have slapped the guy for the right reasons. You know? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Or, or he, or he wouldn't have done it there in public. He would yes. have done something different, Classy. right? That's right. Classy, exactly. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a way to do it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I didn't think what he did was uh, was particularly good, you know. But I think the, uh, the, the backlash, which seems to be the, the, the word of, of, of the, of the year or whatever is, has, was, was ridiculous. And where is that now? It's gone, right? There's, it doesn't, it doesn't really exist. The whole, the whole event itself, these events, they kind of go away very quickly. Well, look, I'm mindful of your time. I mean, but we'll probably start wrapping up, I think, but I want to ask you about film culture quickly. We lament sometimes that uh, film, that, well, that, that much has been lost with it, with what I'm calling the death of cinema. I, I can't argue that it's sort of, uh, you know, if it's, if it's on life support, I think it's very weak. Uh, I distinctly remember watching challenging movies and then retiring to the lobby or coffee shop to talk it over with friends. I particularly remember, you know, the year 2000 and thinking, you know, and not being that impressed, but back, back then, I mean, the films we had in that year were incredible. Now I think about it, something's changed. Uh, and now we're told to watch these endless, rather literal TV shows uh, alone at home. Is it possible to revive film culture? You mean going to the theaters again, I guess, or? or the, whatever whatever we've lost. If you think we've lost something, is it possible to get it back? I think it always is. I'm, I, I am an optimistic person. I mean, I, I don't know. I think if you educate uh, people and if you show them the, uh, the great history of cinema, I think that might lead them into, into developing not only uh, more taste for it, but also it might actually uh, awaken new film directors, you know, to... Uh, to make uh, to make movies, but uh, certainly with with the watching of the, the of the film, the experience of it has changed. Right, you can grab an iPad and watch it on that. And I know a lot of film directors like David Lynch. They they I, th- I actually think he there was a video of him saying that's what you're doing. I mean, get real. That that was exact line. He said, get real. You know, what's wrong with you? Uh, so. So I think there is, uh, and maybe Richard Linklater said the same thing, whom I absolutely love. He's another, you know, a great independent thinker, just does not care what what the woke crowd thinks. And it's wonderful, you know, and yet he is really relaxed and he's really classy. I think that's really what we need. You know, we don't need this loud, uh, you know, uh, uh, we don't need loud jerks. I really don't. But in any case, I... um, I, I don't, I'm not very good with predictions. I really am not. I just see it, what kind of what's in front of me. But I think as long as there is, as long as there is human life, there's always going to be human spirit. And there will always be a person that I think emerges that recognizes beauty. I think it's almost like the goodness, I think, and beauty are as inevitable as evil. So I, I think that will remain. Well, we're very mindful of time here, so uh, we we ask a final question and and of of all our listeners, and we'd like to know what you're reading right now. What I'm reading, oh, I'm reading too many things. They're all for 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 like book reviews, I think. But uh, I am reading right now uh, the new book by David Mamet, Recessional, mm-hmm. which oh, that's a nice that's a nice tie-in with the movies. There's another one. There's another person, right? That's uh, 
that's being supposedly ostracized from this community that we don't want to be part of at all, actually. But uh, yes, it's a it's a it's a new book on on the culture of uh, of America. So, well, I mean, uh, I you know asked you about film culture and you know where does it live, and I tell you what, it lives right here because I haven't felt this this alive talking about. I felt like we were in the lobby of a cinema talking about you know all these great things. It, it moves my soul to speak to to speak to a kindred kindred spirit across the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Me too. Me too. And uh, I'm going to have to ask that we that we do it again at some point. So. Absolutely, without a doubt. <laughs> Let's Absolutely. do it. Now, just just quickly before we let you go, uh, how can people follow you? Uh, are you on social media? Yes, yes, I'm on uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name, at Mina Milanic, and uh, they can follow me on Facebook too. I really just post my articles there, and uh, I have um, I have a Substack, and I just what i do there is just aminavolanic.substack.com but i just post my article that i write uh for variety of publications so there's american greatness of course uh, law and liberty splice today um many others so excellent well we'll include links to those in our show thank notes you. for our audience thank you. yeah well thank you thank you so much for coming on board absolutely thank you really enjoyed it 